This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the This Week in Rays Baseball Podcast. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Well, we hope you have enjoyed what's gone on in the winter meeting so far. Who better to chat about it with it now that it's complete up in D.C.? That's Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times. Topper, you were everywhere during the course of the four days, and we appreciate you stepping on for a few minutes before you fly back. Anytime, Neil. It was an interesting week as usual up here, and I actually even got outside and didn't shiver too badly in the cold. Well, that's, that's a plus, being in that neck of the woods this time of year. Uh, also a plus, the fact that the Rays apparently found... Their catcher, of course, physical pending, but to have Wilson Ramos in the fold, if you would have told me this at the end of the year, I would have said no way, no chance. Well, certainly if you would have told me this before he blew out his knee on uh, the last week of September, he really would have felt that way. He was, I mean, it's really an interesting story, a fascinating situation. He was headed toward the free agent market. You know, it didn't sound like the Nationals were necessarily going to re-sign him, but, you know, there was talk he'd get a Russell Martin contract. I mean, it's about five years you know, $60, $70 million. I mean, it was just, you know, all sitting there for Wilson Ramos, and he gets hurt. Misses the playoffs with the Nationals, uh, obviously changes the market massively. So give, give credit to the Rays for making an interesting move. Give credit to Wilson Ramos. You know, we obviously will hear more about this when it becomes official, you know, maybe over the weekend and get a little bit more of the details. But, you know, two-year deal, my understanding was that was very appealing to Ramos, so he wouldn't feel like a team on a one-year deal was rushing him back, but yet he didn't want to sign long-term because, you know, he obviously wants to get himself healthy. And, you know, he can get back on the market in two years as 31-year-old, and if he can do what he did for the Rays over the next, you know, season and a half, as he did last year for the Nationals, he could still make himself a ton of money. So really an interesting move, and, and, you know, he won't be in, I don't think you'll see him in a major league game, you know, maybe before the All-Star break, but probably most likely after the All-Star break. But even at that point for the Rays, you know, a front line, one of the best catchers in the game for a season and a half for a reasonable amount of money is a pretty good deal. No doubt about that. And in the meantime, I'm sure that the Rays will find some sort of veteran who's not going to be a drain from a payroll standpoint but can handle the staff well a chris jimenez a bobby wilson type someone in that kind of regard to uh, caddy along with luke Maley and kurt casale i think so although i do think that you know they're going to see this as an opportunity it'll be weird because it'll almost be like whoever they put out there knows they're only the starter for the first couple months of the season and that's almost as rehab goes well i mean they've got to factor that in too you know obviously with their training staff led by Ron Porterfield, their medical staff, you know, Dr. Coco Eaton, all those people are obviously very involved and do a really good job. But, you know, Wilson Ramos still back and get healthy. So the Rays almost have to set it up, you know, somebody to cover them for the first half, but also that if Ramos you know, were to have a setback, they need to be able to have these guys all year long, but also, you know, not making any promise to anybody because realistically they hope that they only need them for the first half. So I think you'll see Casale get an opportunity. Kevin Cash said they still remain very optimistic about him, but you're exactly right. As usual, they're going to go out and find somebody, uh, one of those six-year free agents, veteran guy, and bring him in and give him some opportunities early on. 
And and that said, there are still other boxes to check in this offseason. And as we've seen, this division hasn't gotten any easier. I mean, the Red Sox went out, not only got Tyler Thornburg and Mitch Moreland, but the Big Fish and Chris Sale. And then the Yankees go out and sign Araldis Chapman to go along with Matt Holliday for record numbers. So it certainly hasn't got any easier in the American League East during the winter meetings. Absolutely not. And, and you know, at least to the race credit, you know, they kind of know that. And, and they certainly, you know, maybe the sale move was a little bit, you know, staggering for them. But I think they expected Chapman to come back. They expected the Red Sox, you know, who's their move to make, too. I'm still not sure that they've officially replaced Big Poppy yet. I don't know that Mitch Moreland's totally that guy. I think they may add somebody else. You know, the Blue Jays are still kind of in flux. It doesn't look like mm-hmm. Bautista or Encarnacion are going back. They've added Kendris Morales. They've added Steve Pierce. So, and Baltimore still has some big moves to make because they've got some big-name free agents, including. So this is going to be an ongoing story throughout the winter. It does. It just never gets easier for the Rays. If anything, it always gets tougher, it seems. Well, you wrote about it, and and I uh, I think I was on our, our flagship earlier in the week and, and threw out the name of Jose Bautista as well. How realistic a possibility is it, and more so than that, it seems that the Rays are going to find some sort of right-handed bat who can fill the Steve Pierce-type role. I think so, Neil, and, and I, you know, I'm not going to, to pretend to know what's going to happen with Jose Bautista. I mean, there's a lot of dynamics involved here, including the possibility. I mean, he's still been talking with the Blue Jays, and I think the only team we know that's not going to sign Jose Bautista is the Baltimore Orioles because general manager Dan Duquette said he's too much of a villain and too more for the Orioles to bring him in. But, you know, I think there is a chance, you know, probably not at that level of, of you know, Bautista, Encarnacion, Trumbo, but there's going to be a pretty good batter to left out. There's just too many guys on the market, too much of a glut for there not to be somebody where the Rays can be creative. That opportunity, the Rays will be able to offer somebody at bats. They won't be able to offer them the most money, but they'll be able to offer somebody at bats and a chance to play. And for some of those guys, especially these guys that have already made their money, you've got to think that has to have more appeal. Trevor Plouffe certainly is a name that I think we're going to be talking about as we go um, because he's he would certainly fit that kind of next echelon group and a guy who's been very productive at the big league level. But he's certainly not the only hole, Mark, that the Rays have to fill. And a big part of that is the bullpen. And the cost of Mark Melanson and Araldis Chapman leads me to believe that either, A, somebody's got to fall to them and wants the opportunity, or, B, they're going to have to do a lot of it through the trade market. Yeah, and, you know, they're also looking... Neil, I think for more of the supplementary type guys in the bullpen, you know, I think you know, unless someone really were to blow them away on Colomay, they're going to have Colomay and Boxberger back, and they feel pretty good. I mean, that would be two years in a row of having an American League uh, top save, you know, not the leaders, but the top save, among mm-hmm. the top saves guys, two guys that were all-stars. So I think they feel pretty good about that. They like Xavier Cedeno, you know, as, as kind of their key lefty. So I think they're going to make some other moves. I don't think you're, you know, they necessarily need to be at the top end, but they need to find guys that are effective. I think the two things that Kevin Cash said in his media session the other day here in Washington that were interesting to me were that they've talked more about trying to find more ground ball guys, whereas they've stuck with those fly ball guys in the past, Steve Gelt types. And also just, you know, which I think we've all acknowledged, they need more velocity. I mean, they've got too many guys that, you know, are trying to either trick you trying to trick hitters or trying to you know, get them to pop it up, things like that. How about just some guys that throw really hard and make guys swing and miss? And I think you're going to see them talk a little bit more about more velocity guys, too. We'll be following a lot of that, I'm sure. And the Rays this year, it's, a, it's probably a, more of a footnote, but they did pick someone in the World 5 draft and didn't lose anybody this year. Yeah, and, and both of those are probably a little bit unusual because the last year 
we saw them lose two outfielders, and, and, you know, it's just the way baseball works, Neil. You would have thought at the time it didn't seem like that big a deal. Tyler Goodell, Joey Ricard, guys that weren't really in their plans, and yet here we are, and, you know, all season long, really, the Rays were scrambling to fill their outfield. I mean, with Desmond Jennings getting hurt, with Brandon Geyer getting hurt for a while, and then obviously getting traded, Mikey Matuk not having a good season, and, and now a year later, the Rays are actively looking for outfielders. You know, they lost two last year, so... They didn't lose anyone. They did a good job on their playing defense this year. They put eight guys on the 40-man and didn't lose anyone. And they did take a pick, and a guy that you know, will come to big league camp, at least you know, unless something happens roster-wise, and compete for a job in the bullpen uh, in Kevin Gaudet. And that's a guy who was a conversion. It was an infielder growing up in Nicaragua. He was a pitcher in the Mariners organization. He's only been as high as Class A. He's not necessarily a super high-velocity guy, but he's a guy that they really think can be effective, and, and they're willing to gamble you know, $100,000 which I realize to somebody a high roller like you is not a big deal, but $100,000 and a roster spot to give him a chance and bring him to spring training. It certainly will be interesting to see how the bullpen sorts itself out over the next several months. Um, and in terms of you know any other key, key things, Mark, that you think are important to know, like in the big picture, looking forward, I and mean, we've hit on the bullpen, um, the Rays did not move a starter here. Do you expect something to happen in the, in the next several weeks? I do, Neil, and I think you know that's one thing to keep in mind. It's very important is that just because the Rays didn't trade a starter in these four days while they were here in Washington, don't think that means they're not going to. I still think they are going to trade a starter. We've seen them do this many times in the past where they've come home from their winter meetings. You know, one year, in fact, the year of the James Shields trade, it was literally within two days after coming mm-hmm. back from their winter meetings. You know, we've seen them do it the following week. We've seen them sometimes carry things forward into you know late December, January, but. This doesn't change anything. In fact, the Rays, if anything, kind of shun the attention, I think, of doing deals to winter meetings. And not that they don't want to, you know, or they're not proud of the deals they make, but I think they just don't buy into the hype of uh, the circus tent is up, they need to go perform. They'd rather just do their typical procedure, typical due diligence. And as one of the Rays officials this morning, Neil, and and I know you've been in the situation the same as I when you've covered these, is, you know, you see a Rays official and, you know, whatever, let's say a Mets official talking in the hallway, and you, you know, that's suddenly something of conversation or something I'll write in the paper or we'll tweet. You know, Rays and Mets are seen talking. But, you know, two days from now, you could have a, a, a conference call with six different teams. They could bring players in for physicals. They could talk to agents all day. And we don't know anything about it because it's all done within the walls of the trap. Exactly. So good stuff as usual, Mark. I've enjoyed reading your blog and your stories during the course of the week. Safe trip back, and we'll certainly chat again soon. Can't wait, Neil. Always a highlight. Well, we certainly appreciate Mark Topkin joining us from the Witter Meetings to chat about what's gone on there. We do know that the Rays do have an addition to their front office, and he's a guy who has played for the Rays as well, and that's Cole Figueroa. And, Cole, we appreciate a few minutes on our latest podcast. Thank you for having me. Tell me what it was like for you, first of all, to decide to end your playing career. Because, look, it's not a multimillionaire-type lifestyle, but... AAA can be a fairly lucrative uh, opportunity for someone who's going back and forth from that level to the majors, as you did several times. Sure. I, I think um, the biggest thing to start off with is kind of where I'm at in my life. Um, I'm still at a point where uh, a transition in terms of career is pretty easily accessible, um, especially if it was in baseball. Um But that being said, I think it comes to a point in every baseball player's life when they wake up and it's not about the games because the games are all fun and we love going out there and playing. It's about the preparation. And I think that was the biggest thing I saw in terms of my body uh, reaction to playing and traveling, um, preparing in the offseason. Because if you don't 
love the preparation aspect of it, it shows on the field. And I felt like that was a big deterrent. And also just intellectual curiosity. I mean, this is something that I've always wanted to do. And the opportunity was presented. And I jumped at it because I felt like it was something that I I couldn't pass up. Was it a difficult decision at all for you? I mean, or, or was it during the season that you kind of thought, hey, this might be the last year of doing this on the field? Well, I think it initially started a couple of years ago where, you know, I kind of sensed that um, this, the front office aspect was something of interest. Uh, I gave it another year just to see kind of where baseball took me. Um, and I made an opening day roster and I was, you know, you're surely happy and elated that like this is part of your lifestyle. But then I found during the season, even being at the big league level, there was just something missing uh, and I couldn't quite pinpoint it. And I think it was just because I like internally, I wasn't getting stimulated mentally like I wanted to. And towards the end of the year, my body was kind of downgrading in terms of how I usually felt. And I think the culmination of all those things ended up pushing me this direction. Well, we're certainly happy to have you on board. You mentioned your intellectual curiosity. Where did that start in the game of baseball, and what attracted you about being on the front office side? Well, I think curiosity is just a trait, you know, that I've had since I was younger. Um, In terms of the front office aspect, uh, I I would say when I got into pro ball— uh, data just as was like on the upswing and it was something that teams were pushing towards a little bit more. Obviously it's advanced, um, tenfold since I first got into pro ball. But I think when I got to the Rays and I saw how important it was to them, um, in our meetings, uh, as a player, uh, it drove me to kind of look at it for myself, kind of look at it in terms of my career and see how it could help me. Cause I was always a player that was, you know, in between, not a not a superstar player, but not, you know, obviously not the bottom of the barrel. And I felt like any edge would give me um, give me satisfaction at the end of the year in terms of production. You mentioned learning a lot with the Rays as a player. Was that what attracted you to come to them from a front office side? Who pursued who? Well, I think it was mutual interest. Um, I definitely had interest and I let them know as soon as baseball was done that, you know, this could be a possibility of me reaching out. And they were like, yeah, sure. Once you have totally... Uh, thought that through. They didn't want to push me either which direction. Um, come back. And that's kind of what I did. Um, I think that the the one thing that attracts me the most to this organization was obviously I have a connection with them from my playing career. And then obviously um, just they're renowned to be known as one of the more forward-thinking places. And I thought that would be a good place to be. What types of things, without getting too specific, because we don't want you to give away company secrets, are you going to be doing? Are you going to be on the on the field, scouting, and you know, from from that standpoint, or are you going to be doing more of the research and development type things? Sure. I think initially it's going to be more on the R and D side, um, try to familiarize myself with the way they think internally, and then I think as I progress and get comfortable with that uh, data then they'll send me out into the field and maybe I can um, relay this in a way that would make sense not only for um, staff members or people internally, but also players. Because really, at the end of the day, like they're the most valuable thing we have. Uh, they're the ones playing the game. So if they can't digest the information that we have, then it really doesn't make any sense. Obviously, you're on the front office side right now. Um, Rocco Baldelli moved into coaching from being in this position. Do you have a desire at some point to coach or is this where you want to be in the front office aspect of things? 
I think right now this is where I want to be because this is where uh, the curiosity is at its peak. I think that um, just the information I've gotten in the last few days being here, it's just it's overwhelming, but in a good way. Um, I'm excited. It gets me up in the morning, excited to come to work and learn as much as I can. And uh, as of right now, this is the trajectory I like to be on. Well, good luck, and uh, we wish you best of luck on this path in your new part of the game of baseball. All right. Thank you. Cole Figueroa with us on our latest podcast. Of course, if the Rays uh, make some substantial moves during the course of this month of December, we'll add podcasts as we go. In the meantime, enjoy your holiday season. We'll talk to you soon. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data from Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware. Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.